people use the trail as a part of their daily life here every morning and every afternoon and not to mention throughout the day. So we want to make sure that they have a seamless experience. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity. My name is John Zimmerman. I'm the founder of the Active Towns Initiative, and I'm honored to serve as your host each week on this podcast journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today is Friday, October 29th, 2021. And on this week's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Fry, Director of Development and Marketing for the Indianapolis Cultural Trail, a legacy of Jean and Marilyn Glick, for an in-depth conversation about this amazing transformative activity asset in the heart of the city, which connects people of all ages and abilities to meaningful cultural institutions and districts. But before we roll into those discussions, please allow me a brief moment to say that this episode is being brought to you by the generous contributions of our donors, sponsors, and monthly patrons on our Patreon page. Thank you so much, everyone. Your donations make all the difference. If you appreciate and value these episodes and you too would be willing to make a contribution, just head over to my website at activetowns.org and navigate to the donation page. I'd also like to mention that there are a few other very simple ways that you can help support my efforts. The first is to subscribe to the audio podcast on your preferred listening platform. Next is to subscribe to the Active Towns YouTube channel. Just be sure to click on the bell next to the subscribe button so that you get a notification when I post new videos, which is typically once per week. And finally, please help me spread the word about the Active Towns Initiative and the podcast by sharing it with anyone you think might enjoy or benefit from this content. Thank you all so very much for tuning in and for whatever support you're able to provide as I strive to grow this movement to create a culture of activity for all ages and abilities. Okay, let's get rolling with this Indie Cultural Trail conversation with Sarah Fry. Sarah Fry with the Indie Cultural Trail. Welcome. Thanks, John. I'm I'm very happy to be here. This is exciting. I'm finally I'm glad we finally found some time to connect and chat. Absolutely. Um, in full disclosure, we uh, were trying to film this. We were trying to do a video podcast version, and we were just having a little technical difficulty. So we're going to do this as an audio-only version. But I will reference the fact that I have produced a, a nice little video about the cultural trail when I was there. Gosh, when was that, Sarah? Was that in June? Yeah, it was this year for sure. Probably, yeah, mid-June. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So mid June. Yeah. So it was the uh, Walk Bike Places conference that was in town, and you led us on a fabulous, fabulous uh, workshop tour of the Cultural Trail. So why don't you do this? Why don't you, we'll start at the beginning? A little bit of your background and how you came to the Cultural Trail. Sure. I, I think my background isn't quite as exciting as the Cultural Trail, but what led me here was as a young you know, college grad in Indianapolis, it didn't have what I wanted it to have from a city perspective. I'm, I was born and raised in Indianapolis and coming downtown was not something my family ever did because there was just nothing to do in the downtown area. So I said, I'm going to go in search of a city that, you know, has bikeability, walkability, you know, the corner coffee shop, the little stores to, to pop into and so I moved out to the Bay Area for a few years and then 
my husband got into grad school. So we moved back to Indianapolis and I said, you know, where do I want to work in Indianapolis? What's going to align with my passions and what I, what I want to be doing from a fundraising. That's my, my job is I'm the director of development and marketing here. So I'm constantly thinking about, you know, sustainable revenue streams, whether that's through individual donors or corporate sponsorships or partnerships in the community. So, um, when I saw this job become available, I thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect because the cultural trail is something that drew me back to Indianapolis and gave me hope in moving back to Indianapolis that I could be that bikeable, walkable city that I dreamed of and that living closer to the city and connecting in that way was just really exciting for me. And then getting the opportunity to work here and, and talk about that and share that mission with others is, is really exciting. That's great. It's it, it's so refreshing too to to you know hear that that was like one of your passions was to be in a walkable, bikeable sort of environment. Where do you think that stems from? For me, I think it stems from just that that sense of community to a certain extent that I think resonates with having more bikeable and walkable cities. Mm-hmm. I was you know born and raised in the suburbs, so I could ride my bike to my neighbor's house. But what I missed out on was being able to get other places and not get in my car. I think being in cars just makes it less about the community and more about like individual sports, if you will. Like it's not as much of a team sport as, as you know, like biking and walking is. And I'm an extrovert and I just, I love meeting new people and being downtown and walking or biking on the cultural trail, I almost always see someone that I know or that I want to know. And it allows for that spontaneity of community and connection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how long have you been with the, uh, the cultural trail? Surprisingly, I've been here for six years. I, I counted that the other day and I could not believe it's been six years already. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, time flies when you're having a, a lot of fun. <laughs> it does. It does. So, and, and, and this really is a, a, a fun type of career. I could tell when you were giving the tour, how just enthused you were with, with your job and what you're doing. And, uh, I I guess it would be too simple to say that you, you like to throw parties and, 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 (laughs) and fundraise, but uh, talk a little bit more about, you know, that side of, of what you're doing and some of the challenges of, of trying to be a development officer for a a nonprofit such as yours? Yeah. I mean, to start out with the challenges, it's, it's done, right? If you, you've been here, you've biked it, it is complete as it is. So it's, it's raising the awareness that like, yes, the pavers are in the ground, the plants are in the ground and they turn green every spring and they bloom every summer that just sort of happens naturally, but there's still a team of people that make that happen. It doesn't just naturally occur as beautiful as it does. It doesn't remain open and accessible year round uh, without a team of people who are working on that. We clear it of snow and ice in the winter time so that you can rely on this trail to be open because people do, there are kids who bike to school, there are adults who commute to work, there are adults who rely on it to get groceries and, and get around town and get what they need. So. To, for it to remain accessible and beautiful and this, you know, amazing world-class connection of experiences, 
Uh, it takes a team of people and it's not your taxpayer money. It's, it's individuals like you and me who are willing to give five or $10 a month. It's the businesses who say we, you know, love and appreciate what the cultural trail has done for our city. So we're going to invest in it as well. And that's the other thing I think is really interesting is the businesses that have relocated downtown, whether they say it or not, I believe that the cultural trail has been a, a spark in bringing people downtown. And if they use it every day, great. If they don't, that's okay too. But it brings a, like an ambiance to our downtown. It brings, brings a liveliness to our downtown. You know, 15 years ago, you drove in and you drove out of the city and you didn't stick around. And now when you come downtown, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people walking and biking on the Indianapolis Cultural Trail and having those shared experiences. And it feels good to see that. Even if you are in your car driving downtown, you still see that liveliness around you. Right. Yeah. So take us back to the very beginning as to, you know, how the cultural trail even came into existence. Where, where did this come from and, and why is it named the cultural trail? So I'm going to do my best to tell this story. It's, it's not, it's my story to tell, but it's not my story. So <laughs> yeah, I call it like a campfire tale, if you will. It's just, I know enough to kind of retell it. A local man named Brian Payne was biking down the Monon Trail, which is a rails to trails project here in town. And he was a cultural district commissioner. There were a team of them that were called together to work on economic development for the cultural districts in downtown Indianapolis. We had just designated these six cultural districts and we wanted to find a way to bring more people and interest about in all these cultural districts. And he was biking down the Monon with his son and he thought, you know, wouldn't this be a perfect connection point to allow people to get off the Monon and then hop on a world-class experiential trail, you know, gardens. And I wanted to connect all the cultural institutions and I wanted to connect all the cultural districts and I want there to be art and I want there to just be this, you know, not just the blacktop, but I want the interesting pavers and just you know, well thought out, intentional connectivity in our city. So um, he shopped it around and this is Indianapolis. We're a car city. We host the Indy 500, the Brickyard races every year. So he talked to the city and said like, can we give up a lane of traffic? You know, road diet was just like a cuss word to a certain extent, but after years of getting individuals involved and getting the city on board, he was able to raise about $63 million and then a significant amount of money, a significant gift of that came from Gene and Marilyn Glick. So they were great partners and wanting to make sure that this was a legacy for their family. So that's why it's called the Indianapolis Cultural Trail, a legacy of Gene and Marilyn Glick. They gave 15 million of the 63 million to make sure that this was a completed and well thought out project. Right. And I know that there were other, you know, pretty sizable uh, grants that were received. I think back in 2010, there there was like over, you know, $20 million from the U.S. Department of Transportation mm -hmm. uh, and the Transportation and Investment Generating Economic Recovery, the old TIGER grant. 
that is out there. And so what's really, really interesting and, and I think quite fascinating about this is it was this combination of a vision and coming up and raising the money and then, you know, redefining street space, you know, basically taking, as you mentioned, taking a lane of traffic away and creating something truly, truly special. Because it's not like you you just, you know, took the, the lane and slapped, you know, some, you know, bollards up and, and did a little bit of paint. As you mentioned, it was very intentional in terms of design. And I believe Brian actually may have done a, um, a study tour to the Netherlands to understand and, and get a, a sense of, of, you know, the way things are done over there. And it, it certainly shows because it, the, the consistency and the similarities to the, uh, the Dutch infrastructure, the protected and separated infrastructure using the red pavers. And, and it was very, very consistent with that. I show photos of it and people are like, oh, is this in the Netherlands? And I'm like, no, <laughs> this is in Indianapolis. And it, it, it's really, really special. And the thing that hit me on this last trip in June was that in the four-year gap from when I first saw it at the uh, Places for Bikes conference uh, back in 2018, it, it was like you could just tell how much more mature a lot of the vegetation was. And so to your point, you're, you're continually raising money for the maintenance and care and feeding of this, you know, wonderful asset that had been built, you know, years ago now and in keeping it going and keeping the the plantings thriving. And, and it really makes a difference. I, I hope you know just how special that environment, of course you do, you, of course you know, <laughs> but it, from as an outsider coming in, we're, I'm just like, wow, I mean, they they got it right on so many different levels. Yeah. And I think we're really, we're really proud of that. And that's, you know, if everything else goes away, we, at the end of the day, that's exactly what we want. We want people to have a really special and unique experience on the trail, which is why we try and accentuate the fact that it is the Indianapolis cultural trail, a legacy of Gina Marilyn Glick, because there's nothing else like this in the world. You know, there's lots of rails to trails projects. There's lots of, to your point, the ballers and the bike lanes and the bike boulevards, which are great. And I'm, I'm moving to a new neighborhood and there's a bike boulevard in and out of it. And I'm so excited to, to, to use that. But I'm also so relieved that at the end of it, it connects to the Indianapolis Cultural Trail. Right, right. And I think that's one of the things to, to to mention, and I'm glad you mentioned the rails to trails programs and things of that nature. I mean, that's that's one of the, the legacies is the Monon Trail is actually a Hall of Fame rails to trail installation. And what really makes this particular network important and special is just that. It is a network. Now, you had mentioned that at the very, very beginning that this is you know, that it's built, it's, it's here. And your primary objective is to, uh, you know, raise the funds and, and market it and keep it activated and keep it moving and keep it vibrant. But I, I go over to your website and the very, very first thing that I see there is learn more about the Indianapolis cultural trail expansion. So you guys are growing. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, we are. It's it's a really exciting and, and, and buzzy time in our office. The energy here is great right now. We're all very excited to be expanding the trail. So back in 2017, I think, year not being that important, but people always ask, how do we get the cultural trail to our neighborhood? How do we get the cultural trail you know, on the south side or the east side or the west side, because everybody wants that connectivity, you know, back to that feeling of community and being able to to connect with one another. That's that's what we all love about the cultural trail and, and it's its beauty. So the organization and the board of directors got together and said, like, what makes sense for our organization? Where do we want and need to connect that aligns with the original mission of the organization, making sure that we're connecting those cultural districts? And also it could, has the potential to be a catalyst for the city. When the cultural trail was completed in 2013, there was a study done in 2014 that found that the cultural trail had economic impact of a billion dollars on on property on or within a block of the cultural trail. So we know when the cultural trail comes to neighborhoods, or we hope that we can assume moving forward when the cultural trail comes to neighborhoods that it it spurs on economic activity, it spurs on tourism, it it spurs on locals coming and exploring new areas of their town. So with those guiding principles in mind, the cultural trail is adding two miles of of trail to the, the current eight miles. So will we'll be a 10 mile trail when it's all said and done. We are breaking ground on two segments um, this year. So one segment is Indiana Avenue to 10th Street. And to your point, the cultural trail is a hub for a lot of trails that get you outside of downtown. So this connective, connection along Indiana Avenue and 10th Street will make this uh, area of town a lot more bikeable and walkable for the neighbors who live there and for people who want to explore. And will also connect to the White River Trail, which takes you north or south outside of downtown. So that's a great con- uh, safe connection for people on bikes and, and walking and even wheelchairs. I mean, the the beautiful thing about the cultural trail is it's, it's all ADA accessible. So um, whatever you you need, you can use the cultural trail. It's actually, you know, clear of snow and ice, which I've mentioned, but you know, when you're relying on that, it's, it's a really great asset. And then the, the second segment is South Street. So that will connect um, the convention center along South Street to Lucas Oil, which is our football stadium. And it'll connect along South Street to some of those businesses and um, connect to a currently existing portion of the cultural trail, which is along Virginia Avenue. So it'll kind of make a loop on the south side of downtown. Fantastic. Yeah, that that sounds really exciting. And it, it have, having spent, you know, several days there during uh, during the conference, it was, you know, evident that you can get to so many places around the, the downtown area by, you know, using segments of the cultural trail uh, as part of getting to your destination. I- increasingly, I'm seeing that the on-street network is is improving. It's probably not as improving as quickly as we'd all like to see it, but it's getting there. And, you know, being able to route plan and be able to say, hey, we're going to go to this restaurant over here. And, uh, you know, it's it's wonderful to be able to incorporate that as a a a network into the trip planning makes a lot makes it a lot of fun absolutely i mean from 
I, I live just south of downtown right now and I am on the street for two blocks and then I can take a trail like a, it's called Pleasant Run Trail. I can take that for a mile and then I can hop on the cultural trail. And if once I hop on the cultural trail, I can kind of make a decision. And obviously I can take the cultural trail all the way to work. But if I'm running a little bit behind, there is a uh, bike boulevard on Illinois Street in downtown. And I can just cut off the trail and take the straight, most direct route to to the office. So it's kind of cool that I can take a trail to the cultural trail to a bike lane and, and get to work every day. So I'm never really playing too, in traffic too much. Yeah, that's right. Now, if I remember correctly, that Illinois um, uh, facility, that's the two-way cycle track, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And that takes you almost right to your office because you're you're just right there on the trail, right? Yep, precisely. Yeah. The uh, the other thing I wanted to to ask you about, and, and you and I had talked about this a little bit in June, was how you use the 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 development opportunities, uh, the the engagement opportunities with um, the 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 volunteer and upkeep and uh, engaging corporate interests. Talk a little bit about that because I think it's a wonderful uh, model for other cities to to understand. So what I think you're getting at is just we use a lot of volunteers on an annual basis, and that's a great opportunity to get buy-in from these local organizations to understand a little bit more about who we are and what we do. So it's awareness building and it shows them what we can do with a very, very little. And sometimes those are corporate days of service. So that comes with a sponsorship opportunity. So I'm able to, you know, continue to fundraise through those opportunities and have them come out and help us plant plants or pick up litter or do any other sort of special projects that we have along the trail. And that's even picked up in the past two or three years when we brought our horticulture team in-house. So we had been contracting that for a few years out. And then we really wanted to have a special handhold on what our gardens look like and, and what the expectations are for those and how we think about that in a more sustainable way. So we brought a horticulturalist in-house and the, the volunteer opportunities and the corporate opportunities have been probably multiplied by five or 10, just the way we can get the community and those um, organizations downtown involved in what we do on a daily basis. Today, there's 40 volunteers this morning and tomorrow we have 60 volunteers planting about 200 plants along the Virginia Avenue corridor. And it's just, it's really exciting for us to have that touch point with them. And it's really exciting for them to give back to their community. And, and, and that's what it is. It's community buy-in and people believing and understanding that this doesn't just happen magically. It takes a lot of people and a lot of power to make this, make this all happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's just absolutely beautiful. And, and it, I think it reinforces too that connection that the community members end up having with their built environment, with their infrastructure. And I hope that it also makes them more engaged on the other types of infrastructure that's out there. For instance, if there's an open house that the city is running to explore putting in a more protected cycle tracks and bike lanes and things of that nature, hopefully people will take, you know, remember that opportunity of, oh yeah, I did this, you know, community service day. We helped plant some plants or, you know, do some other cool stuff as a, as a group, as a team. 
And, you know, hopefully that level of engagement, you know, bleeds over to, you know, that environment too. Absolutely. And just to get that many people out on an active trail for three or four hours, um, you know, if you're, if you're cooped up in your cubicle all day, or if you're working from home right now or whatever it might be, and you're just kind of staring at a computer screen all day and you don't realize how many people are out utilizing the trail and walking on conference calls or riding their bike to get lunch with a friend or just taking a mental health break out and explore and, you know, just being outdoors does such wonders for people. And so it's great for the volunteers to get outside, but it's also great for them to see other people using this trail and for them to see how active it is. That's a really, really good point because at any point in time, you know, if somebody happens to just be in a motor vehicle, they're driving through the corridor and, you know, they, they look out their window and are, are like, oh gosh, it's that, you know, that cultural trail is not that busy right at this very moment. It could literally just be a window view, <laughs> a windshield view of mm-hmm. a, a moment in time. But if you're, if you're out there, if you're, like you said, you're, you're out there doing some work, you, you get a different appreciation for just how many people are, are enjoying the, the space. Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about too, is the other projects and the other activities that, you know, are sort of of under your umbrella as an organization. You're, I believe, the entity that's, you know, working with the bike share program. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So that's a, that's a huge question, John. (laughs) Um, I'll I'll try (laughs) and keep it high level. So I work for Indianapolis Cultural Trail, Inc., the nonprofit 501c3 organization that manages the Indianapolis Cultural Trail, a legacy of Gene and Marilyn Glick, and the Pacers Bike Share Program. Got it. So the Pacers Bike Share Program has 50 stations and 500 bikes moving around town. Up until 2019, those were all on or within a block of the Indianapolis Cultural Trail. Those have since extended, expanded, if you will, essentially doubling in size from 25 stations to 50 stations. And they're now along the city's greenway and trail system. So now they go up to uh, the Cultural District Broad Ripple. They're along the Monon Trail and they go as far south as Garfield Park for anyone who's really familiar with Indianapolis who happens to be listening. And so that's that's a really exciting thing. We have a staff of about six to seven, depending on seasonality of that. It is open year round. Um, We take care of the bikes, we maintain the stations um, and make sure that all of our users have a great experience every time they ride. Uh, We also then switching over to the, the cultural trail, it's eight mile bike and pedestrian path. As I mentioned, we have a horticulturalist who who manages the gardens. We um, work hard to make sure that it's free and clear of litter uh, year round and snow of ice in the winter time. There's signs that we manage. There's lights that we manage. Since the trail has come into Indianapolis, there have been a lot of developments along the trail, whether that's mixed use apartments, new new restaurants, new office buildings being built. And so we have an op- director of operations who works really closely with the city on those developments and the, and the developers and construction companies themselves to make sure that our users have a safe and well-marked detour whenever those happens, because we know that 
people use the trail as a part of their daily life. I mean, think about whatever superhighway is in your city. That's what the trail is for bikers and walkers here every morning and every afternoon and not to mention throughout the day. So we want to make sure that they have a seamless experience, even if there is construction going on. So working really closely with them. And then a multitude of other things we recently took over programming some of the public spaces that the trail connects in downtown Indianapolis. So we're kind of, you know, working to think about programming and activation in those spaces as well. So we do a lot. <laughs> right, right. And one of the public spaces uh, you, you have kind of taken over stewardship of is the canal area. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So the cultural trail connects to the canal in a couple different places. So it just kind of felt like a natural flow for us to to put our name in the hat to to start to to program and activate the canal and and to your point steward it along it's it's two blocks from our office and it's just another beautiful pathway um, an experience with water in our city so there's there's a waterway that runs through that people walk on it they bike on it they there's 5k's that are hosted on it um, what we've really enjoyed about it is the opportunity to provide some passive activation for people so we put out just some Adirondack chairs for people to be able to sit and enjoy the canal. We host live at the Orange Bridge on Friday afternoon for people to just come and enjoy live music. So my family has started the Friday tradition that we pack a picnic and, and go down there and pull some chairs together and enjoy the live music together. And just, you know, on Friday afternoon, that's where you can find us. And it seems like a lot of other people have have taken that upon themselves too. It's just Cultural Trail, to my earlier point, is the super highway of bikes and walks and strollers and and things. And so the canal allows you a place to just slow down and enjoy some more green space. And that's what these public spaces have allowed us to do is think about those special events or those programming and activation things that we've always wanted to do. We just haven't had the space along the trail to do those things. Right, right. And and we had the opportunity to have an event uh, there at the Orange Bridge. So very, very delightful little area, little grassy knoll area where you can set things up and just absolutely delightful. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. So one of the things that I wanted to, to, to reemphasize, and actually you just did, was is the importance of the, the maintenance of the facilities and, and making sure that it's always a welcoming environment. Talk a little bit about that, that challenge of, of being able to, to do that, because normally these are the types of things that are handled by like a public works department by a city. And, you know, and y'all are out there, you know, kind of adjacent to the, the right of way uh, doing that. It, it's, it's a very unique situation. Yeah, it's a, it's a really unique public-private partnership. So the city of Indianapolis, we don't own the land that the cultural trail is on. It, the city still owns it, but we manage the right of way for the city. So we, we do manage the space and take care of the space. There's definitely a lot of partnership with the city. We actually work very closely with DPW to some of those more nitty gritty type things. Like we, if you've, you've seen it, I know you have, and um, at the intersections, there's the Duratherm. So whenever there's road construction going on downtown, that's likely to get ripped up at the intersections where the cultural trail passes through. So the city helps us work with those contractors to make sure that the Duratherm gets replaced. And they also replace the light bulbs along the trail. 
where we work with them to get a contract or two. And then we also work with them very closely when there's new developments going in. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Talk a little bit about uh, the art that we see along the way. Yeah, thanks for thanks for mentioning the art. I think it's in Indianapolis, it's kind of just become an experience. I don't I don't know if everyone realizes that there that 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 it's cultural trail art. It's a part of their uh, cultural trail experience. So there's 12 pieces of art along the trail. You probably heard of and dancing by julian opie that was a it is a really fun piece it was the first piece of art that was added to the trail julian opie had an exhibition in the city before the trail was complete and then they offered to keep one of the pieces and he actually wanted all of them back but he then sent us and dancing so she's been a calling card for our city she's just been this key figure in our downtown along the cultural trail for the past eight years now um and back in 2019 we did a fundraiser to keep Anne dancing because her technology was just getting a little little old and tired after you know six or seven years and so she needed an update so that was a really fun way to to build awareness of all of the art along the trail there's you know, 11 other pieces of art along the trail and all of the different corridors along the trail. There's a really cool one. It's an old uh, pedestrian walk, don't walk sign, but they've re-engineered it to say care, don't care. And I love sitting there and watching people decide whether they care or they don't care or, you know, seeing it and, and trying to sort it out for themselves. It's a really fun little social experiment. There's looking through windows, which is very representative of the neighborhood that it's in. So the artist walked through the Ransom Place neighborhood and and looked at the windows and looked at the houses and then recreated some of those windows in this really gorgeous multicolor. It kind of looks like a light bulb and there's a big grassy knoll behind it. And at different times of day, you can see those colors reflected really nicely and beautifully in the grass behind it. So it's just a really nice piece for the neighborhood and very representative of the neighborhood that it is in. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And we do have a short little clip of uh, Keep Ann Dancing in the video that I produced. So be sure to click on over to the uh, that link in the show notes and out on the landing page for this episode to, to see that little clip. And uh, you can uh, listen to uh, Sarah's description of uh, that whole situation there and uh, and then have the visual. and dancing Uh, to close us out a little bit of wisdom for for other cities that are are wanting to have something like this any any advice that you might have yeah that's a great question i think making sure that what i think our founders had the foresight to do it and we're thankful often for this is that we are our own 501c3 nonprofit organization so we have autonomy to do to maintain the trail to the best of our abilities, we're not reliant on outside forces, you know, aside from funding to do what we, what our organization was founded to do. And I think that that just gives us a lot more flexibility to, to be creative and to think outside of the box um, as a small but nimble team. I would recommend working closely with the city and getting in with developers ahead of time. I think a lesson learned for us is that Trail-oriented development needs to be in the forefront of everyone's mind. You know, everybody wants to build a building along the trail. Everybody wants that, to add that to their amenities that they're on the Indianapolis Cultural Trail. I also want you to think about, you know, you can advertise that, but how are you contributing to the overall benefit of 
the cultural trail? Is your parking garage backing out onto the cultural trail? Are your doors opening up onto the cultural trail? How are you orienting yourself to this trail to make sure that it's accessible for trail users and your um, patrons or your guests or your your apartment um, folks? So thinking about that in the urban environment, I think is really important, especially along trails. And then just, just owning the brand, you know, making sure that when people are on the trail, what we really want is to, we want you to know that you're on the Indianapolis Cultural Trail, a legacy of Gina Marilyn Glick. You can tell because it's that consistent quality of the pavers are the same. There are very minimal signage on there because you are on this experience. And if you are off of it, you'll definitely know the difference. And that's what I think is really, you know, just a magical experience on our trail. Very well said. I also kind of reflecting, you know, about my time there in June, I, I had the sense that the trail and the success of the trail and and just the fact that it's the, uh, the beloved activity asset that it is, has had an influence on your neighbors. It's had an influence. I think it's had an influence on, you know, Carmel, Indiana and, and some of the, the high quality public spaces and, and improvements to the Monon Trail up in that area. The, the development uh, nearby the, the trail, across the street from the trail with the, the bottle works area, mm-hmm. that public space and the, you know, the really high quality. I, I just I I just don't think that any of that would have taken place if the cultural t- trail didn't exist. And so redefining and reimagining what our streets are for and what public space is for, I think it's really having an impact. Yeah, I completely agree. That was very well said. Yeah. So you're also in charge of marketing. <laughs> so yeah. to close us out here, uh, what's the best uh, way for folks to follow along with the progress of the Indianapolis Cultural Trail? Yeah, uh, we are on the classics, if you will. We're on Instagram, probably most prominently. It's my favorite social channel, Indie Cultural Trail. And we're, um, we're on Twitter, so at IN Cultural Trail. And then we're on Facebook and that is Indie Cultural Trail as well. So we're on all of those. You can also go to our website, IndieCulturalTrail.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. It only goes out monthly. It's not a nuisance. It's only good, full of good information that you need to know. Um, we don't spam you with other, other details. So sign up. Fantastic. Good stuff. Good stuff. Sarah, thank you so very much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having us, John. Thank you all so very much for tuning in to episode number 98 of the Active Towns podcast. I really hope you found this discussion about the Indie Cultural Trail with Sarah Fry interesting and helpful. Ideally, a safe and inviting, all ages and abilities, active mobility network is provided by our municipalities. Sadly, however, too many of our cities worldwide have been shaped primarily to accommodate and serve the fast movement of motor vehicles. Ultimately, this type of creative public-private partnership with a nonprofit community-based organization can help bridge the gap and, as is demonstrated in this example, help to pave the way, literally, to a brighter future and prompt the government agencies to up their game. 
To learn more about the Indie Cultural Trail, a legacy of Gene and Marilyn Glick, and to access our video profile that was mentioned in the episode, be sure to check out the links in the show notes or, more importantly, on the landing page for this episode at activetowns.org. Well, that's all for this week's episode, but before we part ways, I hope you will help me grow the culture of activity movement by making a donation to Active Towns, spreading the word, and subscribing. Thank you also very much for your support and for tuning in. Next week, in episode number 99, we're excited to feature Arlie Greenwald, aka Bike Shop Girl. And then on Friday, November 12th, it's the big one, our 100th episode, a video conversation with Clarence Eckerson Jr., the creative genius behind street films. Until then, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. <laughs>